a little to the chapter we read in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 12. And uh, looking at that section that we read from verse 22 to 40, I'm not going to read, read it again, but uh, that section, and which is really divided into two parts, although it's all part of the thing. One is saying, do not be anxious, and the second section is saying that you, you must be ready. Uh, So Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than raiment. And then in verse 35, Stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Anxiety is very much a, a feature of the, the day in which we live. And of course there are, there are different levels of anxiety. And I'm sure that all people at one time or another find that anxiety is part of their life, that they're anxious about things. And I don't for one moment believe that Jesus is here saying that we should never, ever, ever be anxious about anything within our lives. That's impossible uh, because... Uh, if supposing loved ones are ill and you, you cannot help but being anxious about them. There are, there are loads of things that will cause an element of worry and anxiety within life. But that's not the point that Jesus is making here. It is this unnecessary, undue anxiety that can govern our life where we become really uptight and uh, anxious about things which Jesus is saying we shouldn't be anxious about. Uh, that uh, by doing so that we lose sight really of who God is, lose sight of his provision for us, of his promises to us. Now, worry and anxiety are actually, they're very destructive in their nature and I'm sure we're all aware of that. If there have been times when we have been anxious, it, it has an impact upon us. And indeed, uh, the, 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 the very word that... Uh, for, for, for anxiety, here this word means to be torn apart. And the word that we get our English word worry from uh, means to, to strangle. So when you take these two concepts together, anxiety and worry, you see that it is something that tears apart and strangles. And you can almost identify to a certain extent with what, what, that, what, the, what these words are saying and the impact within our own lives. But Jesus is is saying that anxiety really, it blinds us to the awesome wonder of this creation and the God who has created everything and is ruling over it. Because when we're crippled by anxieties, unnecessary anxieties, where anxiety just takes over our life, we're failing to see the world that we're living in that was made by God and is ruled by God. And that is part of what Jesus is really talking about when he goes on (coughs) in here. (coughs) And ultimately he is saying that when we become over-anxious about the everyday things of life, uh, it is a a lack of faith. And he says that in verse 28. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? 
And uh, again, verse 30 goes on to show that our Heavenly Father knows that we need these things. So, in the first part here, Jesus uses two very simple arguments to show us how God is providing, that God will care for us, that God will provide for us, and why we shouldn't be anxious. Now, I suppose uh, the day that we're living in, we have become geared, I suppose this is the way that society has now worked, that we aren't simply looking for the essentials in life, that we're not looking simply for, the, for food to eat and for something to drink and for clothing and for somewhere to live. Uh, we have become so accustomed uh, where, we, the, where we are now to have what we might term the luxuries of life where we have uh, many extra extras in life. And while these are blessings from God, <clears throat> God has never promised that that, is, that that is what we will have by right. But he has promised that he will meet the necessities, that he will meet the needs of his people. That is, and there's a difference between these two. Now that doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't prosper. And uh, in fact, when you go to the likes of Deuteronomy chapter 28, when God's people were going into the land of promise, God had said to them very clearly, if you, if you walk in my ways, and if you follow in my footsteps, and if you obey the commands that I give you, he says, the blessings of prosperity, the blessings spiritually and temporally, will overtake you. It's an amazing word. In other words, you can't prevent them coming. If you walk with me and do as I say, then these blessings will overtake you. They will come upon you. God would, would see to it. But then he also said, if you turn away from me, then the very reverse will happen. Then you cannot prevent my curses coming upon you. So it, it was uh, both wonderful to read and it's frightening to read what God is saying. But it just shows us, and if, it, if God pleases to prosper, if we live at a time when God pleases to prosper, then we've always got to acknowledge him. Because God gave it, again, when his people were going into the land, he said to them, beware, when you get on, and when you build houses, and when things multiply, and you are being prospered, beware that you forget not the Lord your God. For it is God who gives you God who gives you, God who gives you the ability, the power to get whatever you've got. And so we've always got to remember that. If God blesses us, make sure that we thank him. And sometimes, and I'm sure we have to admit that, that in the previous generations when our forebears didn't have in the way that we have today, they but probably many of them lived closer to the Lord because they lived in a dependence upon God that maybe we, we've lost. So we, we have to make sure that we ask God for the grace that irrespective of how things are, whether he's prospering us with extras or not, that we live in dependence upon him, acknowledging him at all times. But with regard to the actual provision of our necessities in life, for the things, the basic things for sustaining us, God will provide. And Jesus uses two arguments to show us that. And the first really is, he's, he's arguing 
really from the greater to the lesser. And God is say, uh, Jesus is saying, your life has been given by God. God made you. God appointed the day of your birth. God is the one who has ordered your existence in this very world. And this is this if, if God has made you and brought you into being and ordered your existence in this world, surely, if he's done the greatest thing of all, of bringing you into this world, surely then he's going to do the lesser thing of being able to sustain you in this world. It's kind of the same argument that Paul uses with regard uh, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. That if God spared not his own son, uh, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not in him freely give us all things? So if God has done the greatest thing in giving us Jesus, surely then he's going to continue to provide spiritually for all our needs. It's, it's that same kind of, same kind of an idea. <clears throat> so, again, uh, Jesus is saying here, and there's different, it's, it's translated differently, the, the, the different versions have it uh, maybe differently, but here it is talking about which of you being able, anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life. Somebody, some have it translated as adding a cubit, adding uh, height on. So the translators had a bit of difficulty with this as to whether it was talking about uh, height, the, this addition of height, or addition of length of, of days. Either way, you and I can't do either. We can't make ourselves tall. I remember when I was growing up, and I, I, was, I was the same height as I am when I was 12. So I was a photo of an old football team, and I was taller than, and then later on, everybody shot up. And I stayed the same. And I used to say, oh, I want to grow taller. But you can't. With the best will in the world, you can't make yourself grow taller. And you can't make yourself live longer. There is a day appointed for your birth, and there's a day appointed for your death. And you and I can't do anything about that. With the best will in the world, with the best team of doctors around us, with everything, that day of appointment is there. And we cannot, some of the great, the great dictators in this world have tried to make themselves live long. They can't. You can have all the money in the world, all the power in the world, all the authority in the world. You cannot add a single day to the length of your life. That is God's appointment. So th this is, this is uh, what, what uh, Jesus is saying. That uh, if God is the one who has all this in control, then surely, surely he's the one who's going to provide for you. That's what, that's what he says. If, if, if you're not able to do a smaller th thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? You can't make yourself taller. You can't make your life longer. So why, why not just hand everything over to the God who is in control of your height, in control of the length of your days, who is in control of everything. He brought you into being. He will provide for you. And there are plenty of verses in Scripture which tell of how he will meet our needs. And then Jesus argues then from the lesser to the greater. Jesus tells us to look at the birds. 
That's what he, what he says. In fact, uh, to look both at the birds and to look at, at, at the, the, the lilies of the field. And when he says consider, it, says, it isn't just like a, a passing glance, but look, consider the lilies. Consider the, the lilies uh, and, and consider the, verse 24, consider the ravens. And then 27, consider the lilies. Now, these, these are little things. A raven, a small bird, well, it's quite a big bird, a scavenging bird. The lily, again, the liver. But the point that Jesus is making is, God is in control of all these. You look at the lilies. And Jesus says, they are actually so beautifully made, that even Solomon, who was not only the wisest king, but the richest king, because he had wealth and splendor that, was unparalleled. People came from near and far, not only to hear what he had to say, but to see the, the temple that he built was uh, Solomon's temple. It was just the most amazing, one of the great wonders in, in the world, really. And yet, Jesus is saying, however wonderful all that was and all the glory of Solomon, the lily that God has made surpasses it in actual in actual one, and it is amazing when you actually just study, when you study God's creation at different levels, it's amazing, and you see the handiwork and the the, the the beauty. That was part of the wonder of creation. It was not only was creation there in the sense of providing for our needs, but also for our aesthetic needs, so that there there was beauty in it. It was mentioned. It, it was good to look at. And that's, that's what God has done, his creation. It, it's marvelous. And there are, we, we should never uh, st- say, oh, it's not right to, shouldn't, shouldn't admire the creation, admire photos of. Yes, we should, as long as we, give, as long as we give glory to the God who made it all. And we should, we should recognize his handiwork, the marvel of it, the wonder, the intricacy. And it's the same with, the, with these birds. There's, as we say, scavenging birds. But God feeds them. That's what it says. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. God gives them the ability to find food. He, he, provides, he provides for them. And so if he does that for the ravens, then how much more is he going to do that for us? And God provides for us. God gives us the ability to do, to get, to have, to provide for our homes, for our families, for all these things. And that is why when we sit down to eat, we give thanks. It's a very simple thing, but it's such an essential thing to give God thanks. We are recognizing that God is the one who, 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 who gives and you know, it's, 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 uh, I've got a friend who who's, was <clears throat> working in the, in the oil industry for years and years in, in Britain and all around. But he's now married in America. And he was seeing an incredible difference between working here and working there. He said, I always said, it didn't matter what rig he was on, where he was, I always said, Grace, he said. But sometimes I was the only person that I could see that would say grace. He said, now where I'm working, and there's 300 men, he said, there's only half a dozen that won't say grace. 
And that, that, that shows an incredible... He said, I didn't realize how far as a country we have moved away from God in the simplest things of just giving thanks for the food before us. But we should, it's something that we should, we should all be doing, just to thank God. Now, people, there are critics who will say, well, if, if God is promising to supply the basics for people throughout his own creation throughout the world, why are so many people in the world starving today? People will say that. Well, you, that charge cannot be laid at the door of God. There is more than sufficient food and provision for food and drink to feed this whole world. Where the problems lie are in corrupt governments, in where there has been a total abuse of power. And you can go through some of the nations of this world that are, have been actually rich in resources and leaders have completely corrupted and exploited. And through the ravages of wars that should never be, and through all these things, it is through sin, through the, the outworking of sin in society, that we see that there are so many places that are actually in need today. But if, if there was an equitable distribution of all that the, the resources that is in the world, there would be provision made for everyone. So that the charge can never ever be laid against the, against the Lord. The people will say that. But it's, it's not. It's... it's uh, Sinful hearts that have, that have caused all these problems. But Jesus tells us that the great, the most important thing that we do is stop worrying about these things. He says, your heavenly Father will provide, right? But he says, what is most important is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Because, see, see what he's saying uh, 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 here. He, he says, why, why do you... It's almost like Jesus is bemused by this. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. So in other words, Jesus is saying, other nations, they're worried. They have their, their worries and their anxieties because they're not trusting in the Heavenly Father. But you are. And so our duty is first and foremost, and this is the beauty that if we seek first the kingdom of God, if this is our priority in life, if we're looking to the Lord first and foremost, the Lord says, you do that and I'll look after the other things. It's a wonderful thing. And when God promises something, he will do it. Trust him. So that we put the Lord first and foremost and he will see to it that all the other things are added to us as well. And Jesus, of course, we see how tenderly he speaks as well. Because he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Little flock. See, God has given this little flock the shepherd. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's the shepherd of the little flock. We're part of this little flock. And he is a shepherd who feeds us. He's a, both spiritually and physically. He's a shepherd who leads us. The shepherd who provides for us all the time. And this is part of God's great purposes for us. And Jesus then gives a very strong test uh, to, to, for ourselves to know exactly where we are. When he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then he says this, for where your treasure is, 
there will your heart be also. That's the acid test. Where is my heart? Where, where is my chief desire? What is it that occupies my thinking more than anything else? Do I think about the Lord and who I am in relation to him? Or is it just now and again, or am I taken up with other things? Because the Lord is saying, your heart will reveal where your treasure really is. And always remember that if we're centered in the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then our treasure is in a place where neither moth nor thief can reach through or corrupt. It is uh, absolutely safe. And then Jesus warns us against being, being taken, taken over by the world. So we must guard against these things. So we're not to be anxious, but we're also, just very briefly, we must be ready. And Jesus is speaking here about another motive for not getting caught up in the things of the world. It's this, Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back suddenly. Now, I would imagine that this would have been quite difficult for the disciples to get hold of. Because you put, your, you put yourself in, in the shoes of Peter and James and John and the other disciples. And Jesus is saying this, that he's coming back suddenly. And they must be saying to themselves, I, I, I don't understand. You, you, you've just come. You're here. So how do you come back suddenly? Because at that point they hadn't grasped, although Jesus would be telling them along the way, they weren't grasping. They weren't grasping about his death, though he told them. He wasn't grasping about his going to rise again from the dead. So they hadn't, at this point, they wouldn't be grasped. So I would imagine it would be quite hard for them at that particular point to understand, although they would understand later. And we're always got to say, it's the same for ourselves. There are things sometimes we read and, and we don't grasp. And it's maybe along in the Christian journey or through something. And we say, ah, do you know something? I understand that now. I never, I used to hear it, I read about it. And so, but I never, I couldn't get hold of it. But now I understand it. And sometimes it's through deep experiences that the Lord will send through the the Spirit, His light, will open up some truth that you had never really, yes, you believed it, but you had never really grasped it. And all of a sudden, it may, you say, oh, now I get it. Well, that would have been true so much in the experience of the disciples. It's like when John went into the empty tomb. It tells us he believed. In other words, it was this moment of clarity that everything that Jesus had said that it just, he, hadn't, he accepted the word of Jesus, but he hadn't been able to lay, lay hold of it. And then all of a sudden there's this moment of real clarity and understanding. And it's wonderful when these things happen in our Christian experience. But Jesus is here telling us <clears throat> that he's going to come back, and he's going to come back suddenly. And he tells us that we are to be dressed for action. In other words, you and I are to be ready as if we were going to go on a journey. Like Israel were when they ate the Passover. Israel didn't eat the Passover lounging about or stretched out. They ate the Passover dressed. Ready for, ready for going. Ready for action. That's how it was. And Jesus is saying, that's the way you're to live. Because I'm going to return all of a sudden. And I want you to be ready. 
Because when I return, I'm going to call you with me. And I want you to be ready to come. That's how, it, that's how it's got to be. And so there's this sense of urgency, this sense of alertness, this sense of being awake and watching. Jesus is emphasizing that so much throughout his ministry. Watch and be ready. You'll find it quite often in the Gospels. Jesus turns to his people and he says, watch and be ready. Because you don't know when I'm coming back. And uh, he, he also says, keep your lamps burning. And I believe very simply that that means don't just be ready a day with your all dressed for action. Your lamps burning is be ready at night as well. Be ready for my return. And whether it is the Lord returning or whether he returns in the sense of calling for you, you be ready. Because a lot of his people are taken through the night. Remember, as a, we were children used to be taught the prayer, as I lay me down to sleep, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. And that is where we want to be ready, ready so that the lamp is burning at night. So that we're, if, he, if he calls and comes for us in the night, that we are ready. <clears throat> and uh, Jesus shows that it's like the bridegroom coming from the, from the feast. Now, back at that time, a wedding feast could last a week. So nobody knew, the servants didn't know in the house at what point the bridegroom would arrive. They had to be ready and they had to be waiting so that they could open the door. And Jesus is saying the same, as a heavenly bridegroom he's going to return. And he's looking for his servants, in other words his people, to be ready for that return. Because you don't know when it's going to be I've heard it uh, described in sort of a more modern day description of like uh, how people sometimes get babysitters. The parents are of the little child, the little baby, they're out. And when the, 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 the parents come back to the house, they expect that the babysitter has kept everything in order and has looked after the baby. So the parents expect to go in and they expect to find the house in order and the baby safe and sound. And there would be nothing worse for a babysitter. If a babysitter says, oh, they're going to be away for ages. I'm going to throw a little party and invite people in. And all of a sudden the parents come back to the house. The shame. Everything in chaos and turmoil. Being discovered in this way. And that's what Jesus is saying. He said, when I come back, I expect my servants to be watching and to be waiting. To be ready for my return. Because he also highlights that, that he's going to come uh, suddenly and he likens it elsewhere, he has said, coming like a thief in the night. And the, the success of thieves is usually their surprise attack because they, they hit when people don't expect. If, if you knew that a thief was going to come to your house on a particular night, you'd be waiting up all night. You'd be on guard all night. But the successful strategy of the thief is that they will hit when you don't expect. So Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be caught out. I want you to be ready. And I want you to be waiting when I return. But you notice something absolutely amazing in verses 37. And Jesus says, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. 
And notice what Jesus is going to do. I find this extraordinary. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service. Now here's the bridegroom. Here's the bridegroom coming back. He takes off the clothes of the groom and he puts on the clothes of a servant. And he's going to serve his people, have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. No wonder it says blessed. That's an extraordinary picture of what Jesus is going to do for his people. That he's actually going to serve them. So our suffering servant will still continue with his service role. Even although he's a great leader, he will continue to be our shepherd in glory forever. He will continue to be our ser- to be serving us as he's serving us here. And yet he'll still be the altogether glorious king, the shepherd king. And it's, it's quite extraordinary. So no wonder Jesus says to those who, who enter in, uh, enter into the joy of the Lord. So here we have the importance of being ready. And as we come to the end of another year, and the Lord, the Lord has spared you and me to this point. Not as we all know, within our families, we lose loved ones as time goes. But help, we ask the Lord to help us to live in a way where we will be ready for His coming. And of course, the first way is by accepting Him as our Lord. We have to. That's a that's a given. That's the first point. And when we just when we ask the Lord Jesus to come into our heart, into our life, to be Lord, to be Master, to be King, to be Ruler, to be Shepherd, then that's a prayer He never turns away from. And once we have that, then that we will live waiting for His return, because He's going to come, and He's going to come suddenly. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we, we pray that we might indeed be found, like what is described there, dressed, ready for action, and our lamps burning. O oh, forgive us, Lord, for when we're not. And we pray that as we carry on day by day living with you, that we may do so focused upon you, and that our hearts might be right with you. Deliver us, O oh Lord, from from who we are ourselves, and help us to become more and more like you. Watch over us, we pray, and take us all to our home safely, and ask that you will do us good and cleanse us, we pray, from our every sin. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. We're going to conclude singing in the 98th Psalm, Psalm number 98. Is noch around? Boy and touch you more and boss, a slave to be a guide, and laher ye or high chach or talav havert kerst. Le kerst is my very mach, breh er a grinjke, very a fopel brehenes, le corum fierglan re. Psalm 98 and the last two verses. Boy and touch you more and boss.
go to the 